0: The word. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you meet with us as we gather round your word, be it here, be it in Sunday school. We ask that we might hear what you have us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Once upon a time, an army of frogs decided to hold a competition. They were going to have a race to see who could reach the top of the Eiffel Tower first. And there was great anticipation for the event. Crowds gathered from all over Paris to see the spectacle of frogs climbing the Eiffel Tower. And the competition began. The frogs started to climb whilst the crowd behind cheered on their favourites. And a moment later though, someone shouted, Hold on a second, that tower's really high! They can't possibly do it! And when they heard this, some of the frogs collapsed immediately, but others continued to climb. But then another voice joined in, You're right! It's hopeless! Nobody's going to make that! And gradually, this course of doubt began to spread amongst the crowd. And as they made more and more noise, more and more frogs began to drop out of the race. Until there was only one left, climbing the tower. And he went on and somehow made it to the top despite everyone in the crowd saying he couldn't do it. And everyone wanted to know how this one frog succeeded whilst all the others failed. It turned out that the frog was deaf. <laughs> <laughs> <couldn't hear> <laughs> it turns out in life, people can encourage you or discourage you, and they can try to draw boundary lines around your faith if you're, yeah, unless you refuse to listen to them. So much of life is choosing the right voices to listen to. And we're continuing our series of meeting Jesus in the pages of Mark's Gospel. We're picking up the same passage as we considered last week. You might remember how I said sometimes Mark tells stories and he link stories to- together by sort of putting one inside the other, like literary Russian dolls. i I said this was an example of that and last week we looked at the inner story where jesus healed the woman with a bleeding condition which she had borne for 12 years she reached out and touched the hem of his robe and was healed but jesus stopped to find out who it was before assuring her, yes she was healed and that happened on the way when jesus as we talked about earlier with the ducks was on his way to do something in town Different. He was on the way to the bedside of the dying daughter of a synagogue leader called Jairus. The incident of the bleeding woman with the bleeding issue heightens the tension of what's going on. And the outer story is where we're going to focus our attention today the story of Jairus and his daughter. But in some ways, actually, the story is not really about Jairus' daughter much. Sure, she's the one who's healed and raised. But it kind of just happens to her, it just goes on around her. We don't even know her name. Other than Jesus, the main actor in this story is Jairus. He's the one who begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter. He's the one who, when he's told that your daughter's dead, don't bother the teacher anymore, he's the one to whom Jesus urges don't be afraid, just believe. And like the frogs in the story, he's the one being told, it's hopeless, it's impossible, it's too late, it can't be done. And he's the one having to block out all those voices and keep his eyes and ears trained on Jesus, keeping his faith in Jesus, when all around him are telling him there's no point. Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee. Mark doesn't specifically tell us where he lands, but Matthew sort of indicates that it was Capernaum. And Capernaum is quite an important place for Jesus. It's Although he was raised at Nazareth, and he's called Jesus of Nazareth, it seems Capernaum was where Jesus chose to base himself, certainly during the period of his ministry. And Capernaum had been an important center for Mark's gospel so far. It was the same area where Jesus met and called his first disciples, and where we see quite a lot of the stories of healings and so on so far. And no sooner has he arrived at Capernaum than the local synagogue leader, a man called Jairus, comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. He says, you've got to help me, please. My little daughter is dying, but come to my house and put your hands on her so that she will get well and live. (coughs) Now it's worth taking a moment to highlight who Jairus is and what a synagogue ruler was. This picture is actually a synagogue in Capernaum. It's from a few centuries after uh, the the one that uh, would have been there in Jesus' time. But it's actually believed to be on the same site as the the synagogue uh, that would have been there in the first century lies below this. And uh, Jarvis wouldn't have been a teacher or a rabbi or anything like that. He was what we might you know, he was more, he was more kind of the church secretary type. You know, he was more of a kind of lay person. Uh, but he had an important job within the faith community. He was responsible for supervising the service. He was he was the one who kept order, so it would be him that would decide who was allowed to come along and speak. And he had quite a lot of status within his own community. But he would also have had other people from outside keeping an eye on him. To make sure he was doing a decent job. That, he, that the community wasn't going off the rails. That he wasn't giving prominence to the wrong sort of people. And that adds an extra dimension to the narrative. that you see, this will not be the first time that Jesus encountered Jairus, because Jesus has already been in the synagogue, and shall we say it hadn't been without incident? We read about it early in Mark 3, Jesus went to the synagogue there, and there was a man who had a withered hand. And Jesus was already building up a degree of opposition, be it for announcing forgiveness of sins to a paralyzed man, or aching with dodgy sorts like like tax collectors and sinners, even calling one of them to be his disciples. Or he was seen to be rather lax regarding his approach to Sabbath-keeping. So in the congregation that day, there were a few people keeping a close eye on Jesus. They were watching him very closely. And Jesus knew it. And the chances are, whatever he thought about Jesus, Jairus knew they were watching him. But Jesus wasn't having them tell him what to do. He called the man out in front of everyone, asked him to stretch out his hand and healed him, which you'd think was pretty amazing. Everyone would have been thrilled. Except those with a bit of knowledge and influence were upset about the fact that he had done it on the Sabbath. And that particular section of Mark's Gospel ends in a really ominous way. It says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And I wonder if Jarus gonna tell him off that day. What kind of show are you running here, Jaris? Do you not know what that guy's like? Have you not heard some of the stuff he's up to, who he's hanging out with, what he's saying? Jaris, I'm telling you, the boys upstairs aren't happy. And you don't know what where, where does this getting out you know what this getting out the herald and the like? You know what he's like when he gets nervous. Jarish, you better sort this. And those were the voices that would have been trying to influence Jairus. This Jesus was a heretic, an imposter, an outsider, someone best avoided. He was not somebody you want to encourage. And for all we know, Jairus himself may even have had his own misgivings about Jesus. We're not told. And then there is his own dignity. Jarus is a man of status, even if it is within a small community. He was what we might sometimes say in English, he was a big fish in a small pond. People looked up to him. They respected him. And this was a culture where your status really mattered. And you didn't make a show of yourself in front of someone who was lower status than you. And those were the voices that were telling all the reasons why he couldn't or shouldn't go rushing to someone like Jesus. But faced with the hard realities of life, none of that mattered. This was his young daughter, only 12 years old, all life ahead of her. Sickness, tragedy, even death is no respecter of social hierarchies. Jairus is powerless in the face of what his daughter is suffering. And whatever else he thinks about Jesus, and no matter what anyone else is saying about him, he knows that this Jesus has a reputation for being able to heal people. He's seen it happen. And so he silences the voices, the doubting voices, both within him and without him. He pushes aside the doubts and uncertainties about this maverick rabbi. He risks people in the community looking down on sniggering, look at him before him, begging before this guy that the superiors are all furious about. None of it matters. His daughter is more important than what scribes, Pharisees, other local villagers think. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet and begs him to come and heal. And as the crowd gathers around Jesus, all of this would have given a little bit of an extra edge to the encounter. How would Jesus react? Is he going to help this guy? Maybe some thought he would be within his rights to tell him to get lost. Maybe he'd make a point of saying, no, well, you need me now, do you? You weren't so keen on me when I was in your synagogue to do it to someone else, were you? And Jairus himself may have had some doubts about what Jesus was going to say. But in Jesus, Jairus discovers that day that there are no boundaries to the love of God. That no one is beyond the reach and compassion and help of Jesus. His past record is irrelevant. All they need to do is reach out and call on him. And Jesus simply reaches down and picks Jairus up and starts walking with it and as i said last week this wouldn't have been a massive journey this is this is sort of an excavation of comparing it wasn't a massive place but even within that short space of time there was an interruption they're walking along jesus stops and says who touched me and his disciples protested about the crowd who were gathering around how people are jostling for possession all keen to get a closer look or to get to hear better what's going on. They said, what well, are you serious? Someone's gonna touch you. And he's no, no, someone definitely touched me. It's Jaris thinking, are you kidding me? My daughter's dying here. And as the woman comes to him and she starts to pour out her story, does her story seems to take an age. Jesus said, no, rush, just chastity. Jesus, don't get distracted by this. Does he feel a temptation? He asks, "Well, can you just get to the point now? Can we move Jesus along? And in the delay comes the news he's dreading. It's too late, man. Your daughter's died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And did he even feel like maybe a sense of anger towards the woman that touched Jesus' robe? Was it really that important that she had to do it now? Could she not have waited until Jesus was finished with him? I mean, she'd been waiting 12 years. Surely another couple of hours weren't going to hurt. Could Jesus not have waited? Surely it wouldn't have been that hard in a small community like Camparium to find out who it was who touched him. Just look for the person who wasn't well a few hours ago and is okay now. And in that short time his daughter had died, the worst of his fear had happened. His hope had been extinguished. Except Jesus looks him in the eye. He looks right into him. Like he can truly feel all the Jairus is experiencing. And he says five words. Don't be afraid. Just believe don't be afraid, just believe. How hard must that final bit of the journey of been? I mean, it's one thing to believe that Jesus were healing. It's seen that often in this community of late. It was another thing altogether to believe and keep believing in the face of death. But on they go till they reach the house. The mourners have wasted no time in getting there. You know, our British culture can be quite reserved in these circumstances. We sit and chat quietly over cups of tea because cups of tea solve everything. Not every culture is like that. Who oh, would they let it out? There's some culture where something called wailing plays a big part in the mourning process. And it will go on quite a while. If two people meet for the first time after one of them has been bereaved, even if it's been a really, really long period since the bereavement, they will often embrace and wail to mark their sorrow. And already, the mourning in Jairus' house is in full swing. As Jesus and the few disciples and Jairus walk into the home, we're told that there's a right commotion going on. But Jesus is having none of it. He said, what's all this commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead. She's asleep. the wailing turns to mocking laughter. But Jesus just shoes them out of the house. Like he's evicting all those indicted thoughts from Jairus and his wife. The only one he allows once he allows to stay are the girl, her parents and a few disciples. And what follows it seems so ordinary. Jesus just walks across the room to where the young girl lies. He takes her hand and says two words. Talitha Kuhn. They quite literally mean get up kid. It's interesting, though. Those two words are kept in Aramaic, which Jesus would have normally spoke. They're not translated into Greek. And some say it was to stop Jesus being accused of sorcery and raising her. Or maybe it, it, it just, you know, it stuck with the people who were there who heard it. But whatever. the she got up and started walking around. And as if to prove she's real and alive, that she's not some kind of zombie, Jesus says, give her something to eat. Faith wasn't easy for jack that day. He had so many voices telling him it was pointless, it was useless, it was impossible. And some of those voices were outside him, it was everybody else telling him it that just Jesus wasn't to be trusted, that he was troubled, best stay away from him. Somewhere within him, his own doubts, his own perceptions of Jesus and what Jesus was like. And then there were the cries of those around him saying, stop hassling Jesus, it's not worth it, it's too late, it's hopeless, she's gone. And all of those voices had to be silenced and ignored in the face of the one who said, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. And to do it so, however much he did believe, he discovered three things. One was that Jesus' grace and compassion extends to all and may have had good reason to wonder if Jesus would help him. At best, he was associated with a lot of people who had wanted nothing to do with Jesus so far. But Jesus wasn't bothered. His grace was for all who called on him. Secondly, Jesus was powerful and his power extended even beyond even there, Jairus' daughter was not out of reach. And thirdly, Jesus could be trusted with what was most precious to him. And Maybe some of us need to hear those kind of lessons this morning. Because we live in a very sceptical age. And we can breathe the sceptical air not even necessarily in the voices which are actively hostile to Jesus of the gospel, just in the sense that he doesn't even figure in so many people's thinking. We condemn our expectation, our anticipation, our sense of hope that anything might be different. Perhaps time, experience, previous disappointment, all had that effect on us. And we will be influenced by the voices we give credence to. And they're not just out there. They're inside us, shaped by the inner dialogue we have with ourselves all the time. And often that inner dialogue is harder on ourselves than anyone else would be. Often we are harder on ourselves than we would be to others. And that voice of doubt and hopelessness can seem so strong and so light in the face of a still, small whispering within us. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus was an insider. He was a respected member of the community. On the other hand, he was part of a community that was proving increasingly hostile. But Jesus did not turn him away. His grace extended to Jairus, the daughter, and the woman that we saw last week. All of them equally. And his grace extends to all of us no exceptions. All he asks, all we need to do is ask. Don't be afraid. Just believe. It is never beyond hope with Jesus. We are never beyond the reaching in a few moments, we will come to a table and here we will be reminded that Jesus was prepared to enter into death itself to reach us. But God raised them to new life. There is no depth to which we can go where he cannot reach us. Nothing we can do that he is not those voices come from within us and outside us saying it's hopeless it's done it's finished God's not done and he asks us to listen for that whisper amongst the clamour don't be afraid just believe don't be afraid just believe Jesus can be trusted with what is most precious to you. One of the privileges we have is that we can pray on behalf of those who can't or won't pray for themselves. It wasn't Jarrett's daughter who came begging Jesus for help. It was was Jarrett. And I'm grateful for those who have brought me to Jesus in prayer time through the years. And I probably only know the merest fraction of the prayers that have been offered. And I have absolutely no idea how those prayers have been answered. But I do know there have been many. And there are many things that I've prayed for that I still yearn for. And I don't know what, if any, difference those prayers have made. And perhaps you have prayed for years for stuff and seen little result. And perhaps you do have that voice within you that says, well, if God was going to do anything about that, surely they have done it by now. And we need to hear that voice once more. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. It's never beyond Jesus. He's always at work. And He can be trusted with all that is dear to us. Many will hear the voices of doubt and they'll give up. a different choice. The one that Jairus made. And we don't know what he thought or what hope he had as he took each step with Jesus. But he did. And Jesus proved faithful and powerful. May we too be able to trust him. May we, too, fighting, it fearful and powerful.